Well, today we find ourselves at the halfway point in the book of Revelation as we continue to work our way through this fascinating book. We will finish the end of chapter 11 today and uh, get through chapter 12 as well. But I thought this would probably be a good time to do a little bit of review because we have covered a lot of territory over the last several weeks. So just a reminder, uh, the book of Revelation, that word revelation uh, means to unveil something. And so this is God's revelation given to John. This is the same John, the, the apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, also the book of Revelation. Uh, John was the last of the 12 to die, and he was exiled on an island called Patmos when this revelation from God came to him. And it begins in chapter 1, uh, really just with a, a picture of the majesty and glory of Jesus. And then Jesus goes on to dictate some letters to the churches, seven different churches, which represent all the churches, but there were seven specific churches that he wrote to. In chapter 4, we get a glimpse into heaven. Uh, there's thunder, there's lightning, there, there's uh, beautiful colors, there's all kinds of incredible stuff happening in the throne room of God. And uh, we believe, based on the rest of what we see in Scripture, that this is the point where the church is raptured, that is pulled out of the air of meet the Lord in the air. So they are now with, uh, uh, in the presence of God in heaven. And after that is when God has a scroll in his hands. It is sealed with seven seals. Uh, John begins to weep because no one is found worthy to open the seals, or to break the seals and open the scroll, and they tell him the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy. Um, it says that John turns and he sees, not a lion, what does he see? Do you remember? He sees a lamb looking as though it had been slain. And we see this image of Jesus as the lamb of God now throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. It's a picture of his sacrifice for us, that he is worshipped eternally because he gave his life and sacrificed for us. After he opens these seals, the judgment, the wrath of God begins to come. Before it does, those who have come to faith in Christ, after the church has been raptured out of the earth, there are still those that come to faith. Uh, we read last week about 12 witnesses. They probably had a lot to do with that. There were 144,000, 12 from each tribe of Israel, and others that would have come to faith. They are given a mark or a seal on their foreheads so that the, the judgments that, that we've been reading about will not directly impact them. Now, I say directly because they're living on earth. And so, you know, when water gets turned to blood and a third of the earth gets burned and, you know, all these things that we've read about, that, that will indirectly certainly impact everybody living on earth. But, but the things like the, you know, the, the, the locusts coming, the sting like scorpions and those kinds of things, they are not subject to that because they have the seal of God on their forehead uh, and so it's just one thing after another, lots of fires, earthquakes, lightning. We see hail a lot, which we'll see again in our, in our uh, chapter today. Uh, but all this is going on, and more than anything, there's this overarching reminder that God is sovereign. God's in control of all of this, even the crazy stuff. I mean, when demons are set loose and tormenting people and killing a third of mankind, God's still in control. And before we jump into our passage, I just want to remind you of that again. God is in control. God is sovereign. And even when there's chaos and even when there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening, uh, he's still in charge of all of it. And he's worthy to be worshipped, which is one of the themes we see over and over again. And we're going to see it again in our passage right now. Revelation 11. Let's pick it up in verse 15. 
finish chapter 11. Like I said, we'll get through chapter 12 today as well. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within this temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So again, we see this sovereign God being worshipped. We see lightning, thunder, hail, all these things that, that keep coming up over and over again. And we see, once again, the 24 elders that surround the throne falling down before God to worship him. That's the end of chapter 11 as this trumpet is sounded and um, the, the continuation of the wrath of God happens here. And these things continue to be poured out. You know, I was, I was reading this and thinking about the fact that there's, there's been a lot of time passed between, you know, the death and ascension of Jesus. And even now, it's been over 2,000 years, but who knows, you know, at what point it could be sooner. It, it may not be. We don't, we don't know for sure. It seems to be moving in that direction. But why is it taking so long? You know, why so long before all these things get fulfilled? 2 Peter 3 8 through 10 gives us the answer. It says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Do you realize it's the kindness of God that causes him to delay? God's desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Remember we said repentance is simply a change of direction. It's instead of walking away from God and following my own path, I turn and I submit to him. I have a change of heart and a change of direction. And the remarkable thing is that God continues to give opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And I hope that's one of the overarching messages as we go through Revelation is God is so patient. And God gives us such opportunity to turn toward him. Um, and it gives us, as those of us who know Christ personally, the chance to talk to others and share that good news. But even once the ball gets rolling here. Once the, you know, uh, the seals are broken and then the trumpets and we'll get into these bowls of God's wrath in the weeks to come. Even in the midst of all of that, there's still opportunity for people to repent. There's still opportunity. As long as, as, as you have life, as long as you have breath in your lungs, there is opportunity to turn in faith to Christ, which is just amazing. One of the most amazing things to me about God's character, that he continues, even while wrath is coming, uh, he's given us that chance. But at the same time, there, there comes a point where um, wickedness has to be punished. And it even says that in conjunction with uh, the prophets and the saints, it says, who fear your name, they will be rewarded. And at the same time, the wicked will be punished. 
Those who destroy the earth. So those that keep destroying everyone else, eventually God's going to destroy them. That is going to come back on them in God's timing. And once again, leading up to that, we see this lightning, thunder, earthquake, and hail. God seems to, to, uh, to, to really like to send hail as part of just this, this warning uh, that, that judgment is coming. All right, let's keep reading. Chapter 12. And chapter 12, by the way, is a bit of uh, another interlude to show us while all this is going on uh, to give us a, an opportunity to, to, to get a broader picture and understand what we're reading. Chapter 12, verse 1 through 6 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was, was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. This chapter is fascinating because it gives us, and we'll, we'll get through the rest of it here in a minute, but it gives us this, this wide-angle view of human history. Now, how many of you in the room know what a .5 photo is? It's a little bit older crowd, so we might not have quite as many of you that know. If you're not sure, you can ask some of our younger people here. They'll tell you exactly what it is. Uh, that, that's kind of a, a thing these days, you know, uh, especially it seems like with, with my daughter, Autumn, uh, loves her .5 photos. In fact, here's one. We actually have one of her babysitting. So a .5 photo, what that does is it allows you to have a wider lens thing. So you flip it around, take the picture. I can't wait to do this with our students when they're lining. I'm going to do it. If I bring my phone out, we're going to do a .5 photo later and probably figure out a way to post that later on. Uh, but but it's, it's just a wider lens, right? So 1.0 is your standard. If you zoom in, you might be at 2.0 or 3.2 or whatever. But if you zoom out, it gives you a wide lens. That's a 0.5 photo. Revelation 12 is a 0.00000005 photo. It is really, really zoomed out. And what we have here is this really broad view of history. And it's kind of like skipping a rock. If you think about skipping a rock across a lake, you've got this massive body of water. And the rock only touches down at certain points. And it just skips all the way across. We have a few points that he touches down on. But it's kind of hard for us in our, our Western thinking because the, the Eastern mindset was a lot more circular in thinking, not necessarily linear, you know, this point, then this point, then this point. And so it was very common to just kind of come in a circular fashion. Um, but we have everything from, you know, the very beginning of time before human beings were even created all the way through what's going to come at the very end. A lot of that is, is included here in chapter 12. But it says uh, here that it starts out with, this woman, it says she was clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, had a crown of 12 stars. So who is this? Who is the woman with the crown of 12 stars, with the sun and the moon? Depends on who you ask. Yes, Catholic Church, they're going to tell you this is Mary. Have you ever seen the picture of Mary with 12 stars above her head? You wonder maybe, like, what is it? That, that's directly from this verse. That's where that comes from. Um, 
They believe that, that this is speaking to Mary. Some believe that the woman is the church. We'll get to this a little bit later, and you'll see toward uh, where, where that could make some sense, but it really doesn't make sense because the woman clearly gives birth to the Messiah. The church doesn't give birth to Jesus. It's the other way around, right? Jesus gives birth to the church. So who is this woman? The thing that fits most accurately with Scripture and the rest of context, this is the nation of Israel, once again. If you go back to Genesis 37, it's really interesting to make this connection. In Genesis 37, Joseph had two dreams. And he had the boldness and really lack of wisdom to tell his family all about these two dreams. And in one of the, 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 the dreams, it says the sun, the moon, and the stars, and, uh, or sun and the moon, and 11 stars, he, he would be the 12th, but 11 stars bow down to him and, and worship him. And this is the response from his father. He says, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come bow to the ground before you? They clearly understood that this, the sun and the moon, mom and dad, and the 11 other children, were, that, that was representing them. So when you see these 12 stars, these are the 12 patriarchs. This is the nation of Israel with, the, with its 12 patriarchs that gives birth to the Messiah. Now, in, right after that, it talks about a dragon, a, a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns. Uh, we don't have to wonder who that is. Uh, you know, always the first thing to do when interpreting Scripture is say, does it give us the answer? Because sometimes it just straight up tells you the answer. Verse 9, we haven't got there yet, but verse 9 straight up says, this is the ancient serpent uh, who is called the devil and Satan. Okay, that's who the dragon is. So very clear, the Bible just says it very straightforward. And, and this dragon, this, this Satan, it says in verse 4, took his tail and he swept down a third of the stars of heaven. Okay, so this is going all the way back. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is going all the way back to the beginning before mankind was ever created. When Satan rebelled against God, a third of the angels were fallen. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 4, when he swept a third of them down. And then you see how it just fast forwards really quick. Because the next thing you see is this male child is ready to be born. And he's going to try to devour the child. So we've gone from before the even beginning of, of human beings being created. To now we're all the way up here at the Messiah's birth. Jesus is born. Of course, his desire to devour or to destroy the Messiah uh, didn't work. But that was his goal. And it always has been his goal. Once Jesus was born, you know, one of the ways that he went after him, he knew he didn't have the authority to physically take him out. Because we see this all throughout the Bible as well. Even though Satan is the destroyer, God puts certain limitations around him and certain boundaries. Think about Job, for example. And so he couldn't physically come after and destroy Jesus, but he took him out into the wilderness and the temptation and bow down and worship me and all that. It didn't work. And then fast forward a little bit, verse 6, or actually verse 5 at the end of that, um, says that he was caught up to God and to his throne. So I think we're already here at the ascension back to heaven. And then verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness. So now we're already at the midway point of the tribulation. So you see what I'm saying? It's jumping around a lot here, time-wise. 
But the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, let me remind you, this is a seven-year period based on a 360-day year because that was the calendar back then. Seven-year period that the tribulation is happening. This is the midway point of the tribulation. This is, we'll get into the beast next week, the Antichrist. He breaks his covenant and, and begins to persecute the nation of Israel. That's the woman. But God protects her. So she has this opportunity to flee into the wilderness for the last three and a half years uh, under God's supernatural protection. Now let's keep reading. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Can I just point out the fact that Satan picking a fight with God is not a good idea? I mean, th this would be like me picking a fight with David Goggins. Now, all of you are saying, who in the heck is that? You don't know who David Goggins is, do you? Let me, let me just say, I Googled who's the toughest man on earth, and I discovered David Goggins. Apparently, he's the toughest guy. Here's a picture of him. Um, this guy is a, a, a military, um, uh, serves in the military. He, he was in the Air Force for a period of time. After he was discharged, he took a job as an exterminator. Kind of got out of shape. Um, weighed 297 pounds when he decided, I want to become a Navy SEAL. So he, he went and, and found somebody that would give him the opportunity, and they said, okay, if you can lose 106 pounds in less than three months, then you can ship off to, to, to basic training and try to become a Navy SEAL. And he did. Lost 106 pounds in less than three months. Goes through the SEAL training. Had to go through Hell Week three different times. Eventually becomes a Navy SEAL. After that, he later graduated from U.S. Army Ranger School as well, as if that weren't enough. He has run more than 60 ultra marathons, many of which require him to, to run more than 100 miles at a time. And he holds the Guinness World Record after completing more than 4,000 pull-ups in 17 hours. That's a tough dude right there, I would say. Now, if I decided to pick a fight with David Goggins, it would not be a fair fight, would it? Would not be a good idea. And that's about the same way with Satan. I mean, Satan's scrappy. And I'll give him an A for effort, but I'll give him an F for intelligence. To think that you can defeat God and his army is it's not going to happen. Satan is determined to fight, but he's destined for defeat. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation that he's defeated. Verse 8 says, there's no longer any place in heaven for him. Now, again, we have to ask the question, okay... This is a future event, right? This is not going back to the Satan was cast out of heaven and a third of the stars came with him. This is a different event, which begs the question, do you mean Satan is in heaven now? And the answer is yes and no. 
See, Satan does, the picture we have in Scripture is that Satan somehow, I don't understand how all this works, but somehow does have access to God. Again, book of Job. Think about Job where he's having a conversation with Satan about this. uh, And then it says in the passage we just read that he is accusing the believers before God day and night. So somehow, to this point, he still has access. Now, uh, in Job chapter 1, I think it's verse 7, it talks about God asked him where he's been, and he said he's been roaming back and forth on the earth. So apparently there's this back and forth between earth, but still access to God, to accuse before God. Um, but that all comes to an end in chapter 12. This is the point where he is permanently kicked out of heaven. There's no more access whatsoever, and he is ticked. In fact, it says that he comes to the earth in, in great fury. Now, I think it would be wise for us to um, understand something of his tactics and who Satan is and how he works. Interesting quote from uh, the book called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. He said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. I want us to look at five different titles or characteristics of who Satan is that will help us know the enemy. Because we should live in victory over Satan. Amen? In order to do that, we need to to know the enemy. So five things that he's described, ways he's described it. One is the serpent of old. Go all the way back to, that's a reference back to the Garden of Eden. And serpent means sly, cunning. There are things that he is going to try, kind of a backdoor approach. You know, when when, uh, he tempted Adam and Eve, the thing that he said was, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? See, I twisted it a little bit. That's not what God said. But you, you ever hear that voice? Did God really say I mean, did God really say that you have to be all in to be a Christian? Did God really say that you can't just look at a woman as long as you don't act on it? Did God really say that you should give away so much of your hard-earned money? Did God really say, and you fill in the blank, right? That's Satan's tactics. He's always trying to get us to question, and to question God's motive. He basically convinced Adam and Eve, he's holding out on you. He knows that once you eat of this, you'll become like him. I don't know about you, but I find the temptations that I face tend to fit more in this category than the full frontal assault kind of stuff. It's more the sly, uh, serpent-like temptations that we have to be careful of. But that's not all there is. The second name is the devil. And that's the Greek word diabolos. If you've ever heard the term diabolical, that's where this comes from. It literally means devilish. So sometimes you've got the sly, cunning serpent, and sometimes you've got just in-your-face, straight-up evil. And we see that uh, in the world as well. Uh, Sometimes it's more of of just a full frontal assault. That's the devil and the evil and the wickedness that we see around us all the time. And it's about to get worse, as we see in Revelation, when he comes to earth in his full wrath, it's just going to get worse. The third name that we get here is the name Satan. That's probably what we call him most often. That, that can mean accuser or even adversary. Satan is opposed to anything that is of God. He is your adversary. Whereas God desires 
for your good, Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Do you know that just as God loves you, Satan hates you? That's a fact. And we need to understand that and understand that, that he, his desire is to oppose and to destroy. You know, sometimes that's hard to see when you're the one that's receiving the brunt of it. Have you ever known, maybe had a family member or somebody that you care about that you're close to that is in a, a toxic or a, an abusive type of a relationship? And that person is not able to see the impact of what's happening in their life. You can look at it as an outsider and you're like, oh my goodness. You know, this person is just hurting you so deeply and sometimes the person being hurt doesn't see it. You know, that's, that's Satan. He is, he is the one who attacks, but sometimes the one being attacked doesn't see it. And here's why. Because the next thing it says about him is that he is a deceiver. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. See, Satan is so good at deceiving us into believing things that aren't true. In our men's Bible study, which guys, if you hadn't jumped in, it's not too late to do that, but fantastic study that we're going through by Louis Giglio, and it's called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Uh, this last week, he talked about the different you know, ways that we can tell when the enemy has a seat at our table, and the one that, that stood out to me more than anything else is when you start to hear this, this voice of everyone's against me or everyone hates me. And the, the deceiver makes us believe those kinds of things and will cause us to truly believe, you know, the whole world's against me, everybody hates me. Um, man, that is such, <clears throat> such a common way that he attacks. And then the last one that we see here is that he's called the accuser of our brothers. In other words, those who are, who are believers, those who are seeking to follow Jesus, that he is the accuser of them. And he accuses them before God. We saw that, right? Day and night. But he also accuses them before them. Satan will come after us, accusing us all the time. And it's so, so important that we learn to recognize his voice. Guys, if you don't, hear me say anything else. I mean, this, this is your word from God today. Stop listening to the voice of the accuser. Stop listening to it. I mean, when he comes and says, you know, you don't deserve to be a child of God. God doesn't really love you. I know what you've done. Don't listen to that voice. When you hear that voice that says, you, you'll never measure up. You've never been worth anything. You never will be. Recognize where that voice is coming from. When you hear the voice that says, oh, well, people might act like they like you, but everybody hates you. Nobody really loves you. You'll never really be loved. You don't deserve to be loved. Recognize where the voice is coming from. It's the accuser, the one who is constantly telling us that we'll never measure up. And it says at the end of verse 12 that he's thrown down to heaven. Now, let's read the rest of the chapter because it's not good when that happens. Verse 13 says, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep to the commandments of God 
and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Again, let me remind you, this woman represents the nation of Israel, but it's clear from the end of this chapter that it also does represent those who come from her. So those who are followers of Christ, who are believers, who trace their lineage back to this Jewish Messiah. Satan is coming after the the nation of Israel and the people of God. And we see that throughout history. I mean, the attacks in Scripture, the ways that, that, the, that Satan inspired different people to try to eliminate God's people. We've seen it through our history. We've seen it with people like Hitler and others and just the anti-Semitism even today. But the, the persecution that many churches endure, he's going to come after us. And I just want to close with this reminder. Be ready. Just be ready. You know, I hear some version of this story all the time. It goes something like this. I recently decided to get serious about following Christ and really, you know, surrender my life fully to God. And I thought once I did that, everything was going to get better. And it's actually gotten harder. It's gotten worse. I hear that story a lot. Let me tell you why. This afternoon, uh, when the Cowboys hopefully get things back on track, um, When the Cowboys play the Patriots, the New England Patriots have a game plan to stop number four. They do not have any game plan, I'm quite sure, to stop number 15. Anybody even know who number 15 is on the Cowboys? It's a guy by the name of Trey Lance. He's their third string quarterback. And unless somebody gets hurt, he's not even allowed to play in the game. The Patriots couldn't care less about stopping number 15, but number four is Dak Prescott. That's their quarterback. He's the one who is capable of of doing the most damage. So I am quite sure that their game plan is, let's do everything we can to stop number four. Number 15, who cares? You know, when you are in the game, and in particular, when you are making an impact through your life, you are really serving God and you are serious about following Jesus, let me tell you, the enemy has your number and he's going to attack you. As long as you're sitting off on the sidelines, he couldn't care less about coming after you. There's there's no threat there. So just know that as followers of Jesus and especially as those who are surrendered to him and seeking to allow him to work through us, we can expect the enemy to come with great fury and great wrath. But I just remind you of this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. And my prayer today, Lord, is when, when the enemy comes, and there I'm quite sure are those right now that are, that are feeling the, the pressure and the heat of Satan's attacks. And we know it's just going to get worse. Lord, I pray that you would give them the ability to stand firm. Lord, that we know the victory has been won. We win because you win, and we belong to you. So thank you for that today. We want to rest in that, but we also want to pray and put on our our armor and just be prepared, Lord, for the attacks of the enemy. Help us to stand firm in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.